Good Thursday morning, and we are starting with breaking news. A manhunt ending overnight after a frightening school shooting. It's March 23rd. This is Today. Breaking overnight, police find the body of a 17-year-old suspect accused of opening fire at a Denver high school as he was being searched for weapons. Two staff members wounded, parents and students left searching for answers. I'm scared for my life, so I don't know what to do. We're at that school live with the very latest. Wild weather, rare tornadoes ripped through Southern California, one just miles from Los Angeles. The threat of severe weather now moving east with millions on alert for more twisters and dangerous flooding. Al's got your full forecast. Showdown on Capitol Hill. TikTok's CEO facing off with Congress today over security fears and calls to ban that wildly popular app. We need to ask some questions. We don't trust what they've been telling us. A live report from Washington straight ahead. Mid-air scare. A Southwest pilot suddenly falls sick on a flight from Las Vegas to Ohio. The captain became incapacitated while en route. He's in the back of the aircraft right now as a flight attendant. This morning, the hero pilot from another airline who just happened to be on board, stepping in to help safely land that plane. Inside the investigation, new details this morning on the unsolved death of Buster Murdoch's high school classmate being investigated as a homicide. I've been wanting this for the last eight years, and now it's happening. What the victim's mother is saying and where that case goes from here. Today, Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. And a very good morning to you. Welcome to Today. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday morning. Uh, Savannah's a little under the weather. Hoda is on vacation, so Chanel is in a little early this morning. But we begin this morning with that breaking news out of Colorado, where police say the suspect in a shooting at Denver's East High School has been found dead overnight, 50 miles away from the crime scene. Earlier in the day, officials say 17-year-old Austin Lyle shot and injured two school administrators. Denver's chief of police saying the student had been under a so-called safety plan, which meant that he was actually patted down every morning. NBC's Morgan Chesky has made his way to that high school in Denver overnight, joins us now with the very latest. Morgan, good morning. Yeah, Craig Chanel, good morning. And that manhunt lasted well into the night before authorities could definitively say that this ongoing threat had ended for this community. Now, as for those two victims wounded in the shooting, both have now been identified as school administrators here at Denver East High School. One has been released from a hospital, but another remains in serious condition, all from a shooting that started when a student opened fire just feet away from this high school. Overnight, 17-year-old suspect Austin Lyle found dead, 50 miles from the scene of a violent school shooting in Denver. There was no interaction. The, the, the subject was deceased when the SWAT team found him. The hunt for Lyle ending hours after police say he shot two school administrators Wednesday morning at Denver's East High School. He is not secure. Student has a weapon. Do not know where they are. Police say Lyle shot Gerald Mason and Eric Sinclair as they were performing a safety search in front of the school. It was part of a safety plan that required Lyle to be patted down every day before entering school because of past behavior. The handgun was retrieved and several shots were fired, striking those two individuals. 
that individual then fled. Parents and students understandably shaken and angry. I'm scared for my life. Protect our children. Wednesday's shooting taking place just one month after another East High student, 16-year-old Luis Garcia, was shot in his car just north of the school, dying in the hospital one week later. That incident prompting a walkout. Students marching to the state capitol, protesting gun violence. Both shootings follow a controversial decision in 2020 by the district to remove Denver police school resource officers from every campus. What, what's more important, being safe or feeling safe? We need armed security. Wednesday, Denver school superintendent reversing that move, committing to having armed guards at Colorado's East High and every other comprehensive high school through the end of the year. Writing in part, I acknowledge this action likely violates executive limitations. However, I can no longer stand on the sidelines. I am willing to accept the consequences of my actions. Actions some in the community say are two shootings too late. And today we're still waiting to learn more about this gunman's potential motive and the weapons he used in this shooting. But we are getting a better picture as to his past. The Cherry Creek School District said that Lyle was expelled from an Aurora area high school last year for, quote, violating board policy. Craig, we'll send it back to you. A lot of questions there. Morgan Chesky for us there in Denver. Morgan, thank you. Another major story this morning, severe weather, including two very rare tornadoes touching down in Southern California. In a moment, Al will tell us about today's storm threats. But first, NBC national correspondent Miguel Almaguer joins us from Montebello, California. Miguel, good morning. Chanel, good morning. The cleanup is underway here after an EF1 tornado touchdown just outside of Los Angeles. 17 buildings in this area were damaged and red tagged. This tree was ripped from its roots and impaled right into the fence. We know the path of destruction here was about a half mile long and about 50 yards wide. This is not something we see in this area every day. This was the jaw-dropping site in Southern California, a tornado carving through the streets just a few miles outside downtown Los Angeles. A twister so powerful, it shredded roofs and tore apart metal fencing, the power of the storm's vortex on full display. This frightening scene playing out at a local school. Watch again as a teacher is actually sucked out of a classroom. All of a sudden, we open the door a little bit, and then we just see like a gust of wind starting to build up, and then it just like got faster and faster. Tornadoes are rarely seen in the Golden State, but incredibly, this was the second twister to hit the region in 24 hours. On Tuesday, not far from Santa Barbara, this tornado devastated a mobile home park. Thankfully, no serious injuries. It was nothing I've ever heard before in my life. The damage here is easily going to be in the tens of millions of dollars. You can see this window has been blown out. This is the tree that was literally pulled right out of its roots. We also know several cars in this area were damaged. But again, the National Weather Service says this was an EF1 tornado. Incredibly, no deaths in this area. 
Back to you, Chanel. My goodness. All right, Miguel, thank you. As we said, the uh, threat of even more severe weather on the move now. It's headed east. So what can we expect today? Mr. Roker is standing by with that part of the story. Yeah, guys, flooding going to be a big, big problem from Oklahoma City to Lexington, Kentucky, Indianapolis. 18 million people under flash flood watches. To the north, you can already see some activity going on. Got some snow coming across the Great Lakes, heavier showers and thunderstorms through central and northern uh, Ohio. For today and tonight, severe storms developing across Oklahoma and Texas. Rounds of very heavy rainfall. And what we're most worried about right now, golf ball-sized hail. We could see a tornado or two, but a very large hail risk just outside of Oklahoma City, down to Abilene, McAllister. So we're going to be watching that. Now, tomorrow, this line of storms moves east throughout the day. A severe outbreak, most likely by afternoon and evening. We've got from marginal to a moderate risk of strong storms. A few strong tornadoes are expected. Wind gusts likely of 75 miles per hour or more from Jonesboro, Memphis, Tupelo, Alexandria, Shreveport, all within a strong tornado risk. We're going to be watching that very closely. And with all these repeating rounds of torrential rain, we've got a moderate risk of strong flooding from Cincinnati, Evansville, down to Tulsa, Little Rock as well. Rainfall amounts upwards of five inches of more locally from southern Missouri all the way into central Ohio. So a very volatile uh, 48 hours ahead, guys. All right. Thank you, Al. Now to some scary moments on board a Southwest Airlines flight out of Las Vegas. An off-duty pilot from another airline jumped into action when the captain became ill on a flight to Columbus, Ohio. The other Southwest pilot took the controls while the off-duty pilot helped with radio communications. Uh, the captain became incapacitated while en route. He's in the back of the aircraft right now with the flight attendant. So we need to get him on an ambulance immediately. My goodness, the FAA says Southwest Flight 6013 returned to Las Vegas and landed without incident. Southwest has not released information on the pilot's condition or the nature of the medical issue. This morning, we are following some new developments on the legal troubles facing Donald Trump. The New York grand jury investigating the former president expected to reconvene today after a surprising decision not to gather yesterday. This, as the special counsel in Washington, won a key victory in a separate court proceeding. NBC's senior Capitol Hill correspondent Garrett Haake is following the twists and turns in both of these cases. Garrett, good morning. Hey, Craig, good morning. Yeah, the grand jurors are expected back in the DA's office behind me today after yesterday's mysterious delay. And now their pending decision whether or not to indict the former president is just one of his growing legal challenges. Grand jurors set to convene in New York City again today with the political and legal fate of Donald Trump in their hands. After a surprising decision Wednesday to keep the grand jurors home, Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg is expected to reconvene the body hearing evidence in the 2016 Stormy Daniels hush money case. Mr. Trump taunting the DA on social media as a, quote, rogue prosecutor who's having a hard time with the grand jury, suggesting no charges will be brought against him. The grand jury has been meeting for nearly two months. Hearing testimony from witnesses including former Trump fixer turned Trump critic Michael Cohen, who paid $130,000 in 2016 to buy Daniel's silence, alleging Mr. Trump eventually paid him back. The former president has denied any wrongdoing. I have facts. I have truth. While hush money payments are not illegal, the DA could potentially charge Mr. Trump with falsifying business records. How does an indictment usually play out? The prosecution gathers the grand jury to read the possible charges. 
Then the jurors vote. If 12 vote in favor, prosecutors draw up an indictment and the foreperson signs it. The indictment is then officially filed under seal, meaning the public doesn't see it at first. At that point, prosecutors contact defense attorneys to coordinate a time for the defendant to voluntarily surrender, and a judge makes the indictment public. Another legal setback for Mr. Trump today in the special counsel's classified documents investigation. A judge ruled last Friday, in secret, that there was enough evidence that Mr. Trump may have committed crimes through his lawyers in that case to create an exception to his attorney-client privilege, meaning one of his lawyers, Evan Corcoran, can be forced to testify and hand over documents. You could end up with Evan Corcoran as a key fundamental witness against Donald Trump in an obstruction of justice case, a false statements case out of the Mar-a-Lago documents. Mr. Trump denies any wrongdoing in that documents case. Now, returning to the New York case, today is the last day the grand jury is scheduled to meet this week. And the New York Times is reporting this morning that they could hear testimony from one additional witness, according to sources with knowledge of the matter. Greg. Our senior Capitol Hill correspondent, Garrett Hakeforce. Garrett, thank you. The battle over TikTok is taking center stage on Capitol Hill today. The the company CEO facing lawmakers amid a push to ban the wildly popular platform over its ties to China and concerns that private information of users could be at risk of being exposed or exploited. NBC's Savannah Sellers joins us now from Washington. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning. So we expect the head of TikTok to push back on those accusations, telling a House committee American data is stored in the U.S. on American servers overseen by American personnel. But he's not the only one trying to convince lawmakers. Dozens of creators were also on the Hill Wednesday sharing how the platform has helped them both personally and professionally. There are more than 150 million Americans on TikTok. Ahead of an expected grilling on Capitol Hill, TikTok CEO Sho Chu using the platform to directly appeal to its millions of viewers. Some politicians have started talking about banning. In prepared remarks, Chu plans to highlight TikTok's massive reach while also addressing concerns about safety and security, saying TikTok will firewall protected U.S. user data from unauthorized foreign access and will not be manipulated by any government. On Wednesday, TikTok creators descending on the Capitol, flown in by the company to explain what a potential ban could mean for them and other users. Tell me what it would mean if TikTok went away for you, for your life. Well, I'd be so sad if that went away. And I hope it don't happen. Man, I may not be able to financially support myself anymore. At issue, TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, and its ties to China. Some critics fear the Chinese government might get access to user data through a national security law requiring companies to turn over any personal data relevant to the country's national security or may even use the app to spread misinformation. Today's hearing comes amid the backdrop of the Biden administration's recent ultimatum to ByteDance, sell its stake in TikTok or face a U.S. ban, and a Justice Department investigation into a claim the company illegally surveilled journalists, for which TikTok says three employees have been fired. We need to ask some questions. I don't trust what they've been telling us. For Jason Linton, whose videos on adoption and foster care have nearly 13 million followers, it's changed his life. TikTok has built us a community that we can share so much of those emotions, so much of those moments, so much of the pains. We can share it and we can just encourage one another. 
Now, another important thing to consider, could there be political ramifications for any party or administration that actually takes the step of banning TikTok? The app is, of course, popular with young people, and that means tens of millions of voting age Americans. Now, Gen Z skews overwhelmingly liberal. So the question is, what would banning the app do for engaging young voters? Chanel? All right, Savannah, thank you. We turn now to the economy and that major decision from the Federal Reserve and its ongoing fight against inflation. The Fed raising its benchmark interest rate by another quarter percent, pushing it to its highest level since 2007. The move also leading to some concerns that it could not only put additional pressure on consumers, but also negatively impact the ongoing banking crisis we've seen in this country over the last few weeks. Here to break it down for us, NBC's business reporter, Brian Chung. Uh, welcome back. So simplify for us. What does that, and by the way, we should recognize you called it yesterday. You said it was going to be a quarter of a point, and it was. So what does that mean for consumers, perhaps short-term and long-term? Yeah, and to be fair, the Federal Reserve tries to telegraph all this ahead of time just so that consumers and also businesses are aware of what they're doing. Interest rates are going higher because of the bad with inflation. Prices are still really high at the store. We're all experiencing that. So they raise interest rates to make borrowers essentially pull back a little bit from spending. And as they do so, hopefully incentivize these companies to lower their prices to meet them somewhere in the middle. So hopefully that takes inflation down. But the challenge is that one of the dominoes to fall that led to Silicon Valley banks collapse was higher interest sure. rates, which mm-hmm. is the reason why the Federal Reserve didn't go by a larger interest rate hike. There was some chatter a few weeks ago that maybe they would go by half a point, but instead they went with a quarter point to kind of slice through the middle, raise interest rates enough to take care of inflation, but not so high that you're going to potentially break another bank. Well, so we're hearing now there could be another rate hike coming later this year. I don't know if that's correct. And if the Fed keeps raising rates, what are the chances of, of us finally reaching a recession? Yeah, well, each of these meetings is usually six to seven weeks between each other. So anything could happen in that time, right? We certainly didn't know banking issues were going to come up since the last meeting. But uh, we got some projections from the Fed policymakers yesterday that said, look, they could do one more quarter point hike mm. before the end of this year and then stopping. But look, the translation for all Americans that are maybe, you know, not necessarily in the know on monetary policy yeah. and how the Fed Federal Reserve works is that it's going to be really expensive and will remain expensive to borrow for a mortgage, for your credit card, for your auto loans, right? Mortgage rates are now around 6.6%. Some people are seeing 7%. And as long as the Fed is not cutting interest rates, which Fed Chairman Jay Powell said yesterday they're not thinking about doing, that means that those rates are all going to remain high. So pretty tough for home buyers right yeah. now. All right. All, all right, Michelle. Right. Thank you. All right, let's check in with Al once again and get the rest of the forecast. Well, uh, thank you very much. Here we are. Come on down. Uh, Hello. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) We were just in the back there uh, checking the weather. Anyway, uh, we've got some afternoon showers, strong storms, especially beautiful weather in the southeast today. Temperatures, 88 degrees today in Tampa. We've got showers making their way through the northeast. Heavy snow moving into the Pacific Northwest and afternoon storms firing up down through Texas. And that is your latest weather, guys. All right. All right, Mr. Roker. Thank you, sir. Coming up here on a Thursday morning, will Alec Murdoch's son, Buster, now be questioned in the homicide investigation of his high school classmate? We have some new information this morning as police and the victim's family speak out. Plus, new help if you're frustrated by how complicated it can be to cancel your subscriptions. Everything from streaming channels to gym memberships. Exclusive details on a game-changing plan that could save you money, time, and aggravation. But first, this is Today on NBC. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenna Bush Hager from Today with Hoda and Jenna and the Read with Jenna book club. 
There's nothing I love more than sharing my favorite reads with all of you, except maybe talking to the exceptional authors behind these stories. And that's what I'll be doing on my podcast, Read with Jenna. I'll be introducing you to some of my favorite writers. These conversations will leave you feeling inspired and entertained. To start listening, just search Read with Jenna wherever you get your podcasts. If you ever needed to be persuaded that bad things can happen anywhere, then take a journey with us. From compelling mysteries to in-depth investigations, our Dateline episodes are available as podcasts. Follow Dateline NBC now to get new episodes every Tuesday. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. Great storytelling with a twist from the True Crime Original. We are back, 7.30, and folks, there's a sure sign of spring right there. The beautiful cherry blossoms Ah. in Washington, D.C., there at the Tidal Basin. The annual festival now underway. The National Park Service says peak bloom right now through the through the weekend but mr roker you, you're saying this it's little- early it's about 10 days early okay. uh normal bloom peak bloom between april 3rd april 4th so wow. uh they they were seeing the blooms already uh, about two three weeks ago it's so beautiful is, we're at the peak right enjoy now. them now all yep. right we should mention savannah and hoda are off this morning let's start this half hour with new details in a case drawing added attention in the wake of alec murdoch's trial the unsolved death of his son buster's high school classmate nbc news has obtained new documents and recordings tied to that investigation. NBC's Katie Back joins us from Columbia, South Carolina with more on this one. Katie, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. The homicide investigation was opened in June of 2021. That is the same month and the same year that Maggie and Paul Murdoch were murdered. Now that their case is resolved, the spotlight is shifting to Stephen Smith's investigation, state investigators making it a top priority. The homicide investigation into Stephen Smith's 2015 death, receiving fresh law enforcement resources and bringing renewed hope to his family. I've been wanting this for the last eight years and now it's happening. The South Carolina Law Enforcement Division says progress has been made. The chief assigning additional agents to work this case in the hopes that those who may know what happened to Mr. Smith are more willing to speak freely now than they may have been in 2015 or 2021. According to police reports, 19-year-old Stephen Smith was found dead on a rural road, his shoes still on his feet. A short distance away, his abandoned car, the gas cap unscrewed, his wallet inside. At the time, the on-scene supervisor telling a detective it appeared to be a homicide. But the medical examiner ruled it a hit and run, a determination later challenged by investigators. There's no marks from a vehicle, no uh, skid marks in the roadway, nothing in the grass. Police recordings also show the Murdoch family name came up multiple times in interviews from 2015, including with Stephen's mother. The rumors that's going around Hanson that everybody keeps coming up to me and saying it was Murdoch boys. The Murdoch boys? Yes, whoever they are. Other individuals also mentioned the name Murdoch during taped interviews. And who was that? Buster Murdoch. Okay. Um, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, Buster Murdoch's been on our radar long before this. 
Buster Murdoch, the surviving son of convicted killer Alec Murdoch, says he had nothing to do with Smith's death and asked for privacy as he grieves the murders of his mother and brother. In a statement shared with NBC News earlier this week, Buster Murdoch called the rumors he and Stephen had a relationship baseless and denied any involvement with his death, adding, my heart goes out to the Smith family. Buster Murdoch was never interviewed by police about the 2015 case. Now, the attorney for Stephen Smith's mother, Eric Bland, says he plans to petition a judge for the exhumation of Smith's body and get an independent autopsy conducted. He also says the Murdoch name yielded powerful influence and maybe intimidated potential witnesses. He's hoping that now they'll speak more freely about the truth. Craig. All right. Katie Beckforce there in Columbia, South Carolina. Once again, Katie, thank you. Let's bring in NBC's senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett. Laura, good morning to you. Good morning, Craig. Eight years after the death of Stephen Smith, how hard is it to put together a murder investigation considering how much time has lapsed? It's difficult, but it's not impossible. We can all think about cold cases that were solved decades after a killing took place. The real issue here is that so much attention has been focused on this case. Obviously, there's a Netflix documentary. There's an HBO documentary. It's very hard to control witnesses and their memories after so much time, especially when they've been out there talking about the case so much. Um, You also just have to wonder how much of the evidence was preserved. We don't know enough about that. So is it impossible? No. Is it difficult? Absolutely. We should point out once again that Buster Murdoch has denied any involvement in the death of Stephen Smith. He was not questioned at the time. Any chance that that Buster Murdoch gets questioned this time by investigators? Why would he want to have any connection to this at all? If he says he has nothing to do with it, they have no probable cause uh, to believe that he has any involvement. He's completely denied it. Uh, I I think it's it's really hard. This is all sort of based on rumor and innuendo. And even you can see in Katie's piece, the detectives are saying he's been on our radar. Why? There's just no hard evidence. And without that, you can imagine Buster doesn't have a great relationship with authorities right now. They just managed to get a murder conviction against his dad. And so I don't see any incentive for him to t- come in and talk. So that being said, where where does the investigation then go from here? Well, it's interesting. You know, the detectives put out this statement yesterday. And one thing that did catch my eyes, they said progress has been made. What progress? What have they found? Yeah. They're clearly hoping more people are going to come forward and talk. Remains to be seen whether they it's do. It's also interesting to me that, that the evidence that led to this investigation seemingly was uncovered during yeah. the investigation into the double murder. Yeah, uh, as we well. just don't know yet what that is. Yeah. Laura Jarrett, Laura, thanks sure. as always. Stella Head here, the growing battle over student athletes and the rule that now allows them to make money off their names and images. Mm-hmm. While the head of one major university who supported the idea originally now says it is damaging college sports. But first, Vicki Wynn is here with new help canceling your subscription services. That can be very hard to do. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Chanel and Craig. We have all been there. You try to cancel a subscription and you're waiting on hold forever. You can't find the spot online. Well, I have exclusive new details on how the Federal Trade Commission is trying to help you stop those services you no longer want. That story next, right here on Today. Hey guys, Willie Geist here, reminding you to check out the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. On this week's episode, I get together with my NBC neighbor, Jimmy Fallon, to talk about his 10 years as host of The Tonight Show, reflecting on his long career in comedy, his years at SNL, and yes, landing the biggest job in late night. A little time backstage with Jimmy Fallon. You can get our conversation now for free, wherever you download your podcasts. 
Listen up, true crime fans. It's a big murder trial underway. This Dateline is launching a new podcast with Andrea Canning. Welcome to Dateline True Crime Weekly. We'll cover breaking crime news around I the mean, country. It is the twists, the turns, the With the best reporters on the case, NBC News analysts, and Dateline producers on the ground. Over. Break it down for us. Just You'll as get as fresh easy. insights and behind-the-scenes scoops from crime scenes to courtrooms. That is bizarre. Stay in the, the know and up-to-date. So tell us what he said. It Follow Dateline True Crime Weekly to get new episodes starting Thursday. Wherever you get your podcasts. Back at 740 with the Today exclusive in this morning's Consumer Confidential. So a lot of us, a lot of us rely on subscription services for everything from entertainment to clothing, food, but canceling those subscription services, that can feel like you're navigating an endless maze. That is the truth. NBC senior consumer investigative correspondent Vicki Wynn is here with the federal government's plan to help ease that struggle. That's good news. Hi, good morning, Chanel and Craig. Signing up for that gym membership or beauty box, it might have been as easy as a couple of clicks or maybe a quick phone call, but we have all been there trying to stop that subscription and being forced to jump through all kinds of time-consuming hoops. Now the Federal Trade Commission is trying to come to the rescue with a new rule that would make it as easy for you to cancel as it was to sign up. From streaming video and music platforms to meal kits and clothing, subscriptions and memberships now exist for nearly everything. One survey finding nearly 80% of adults worldwide now pay for a subscription service. All it takes to sign up? But when you want to cancel, many wonder, could it be any more complicated? Chandler trying once again to cancel his gym membership in this classic episode of Friends. I want to quit the gym. (laughs) You do realize you won't have access to our new full-service Swedish spa. (laughs) I want to quit the gym. Some companies require you to show up in person to cancel or hit you with drawn-out sales pitches. Others offer confusing online directions and phone calls with longer than usual wait times. The Federal Trade Commission calls these dark pattern tactics designed to trick and trap consumers, some expressing their frustration on social media. It says, hey, how to end your subscription? Go to end subscription button, but it doesn't exist. Now, the FTC sharing exclusively with today, it is proposing a new rule to help. What would this rule do for consumers? So this rule would basically make it so that companies have to make it as easy to cancel a subscription as they do to sign up. FTC Chair Lena Khan says the rule would require businesses to allow customers to cancel subscriptions the same way they signed up for them, whether online or by phone, and in the same number of steps. They'd also have to disclose certain terms before collecting your billing information. So they need to tell you how long the trial period goes for, clearly have to tell you by when you have to cancel. What are you anticipating in terms of pushback from companies? We welcome their comments uh, and welcome seeing what their perspective is. But at the end of the day, consumers don't benefit if companies are tricking or trapping them. Why now is this rule coming down? The FTC has been bringing lawsuits against some of these practices for some time. We've put out guidance to put companies on notice. And we just realized it's not having a sweeping enough effect. The push coming as a recent survey found more than half of consumers underestimate their monthly subscriptions by at least $100. Khan says if approved, it could take up to six months or longer for the rule to take effect. In the meantime, experts say apps like Rocket Money or Mint can help you keep track of your subscriptions and always read the fine print before signing up. If you take advantage of a free trial period, 
set a calendar reminder of when to cancel, and check to see if you're on auto renewal because those charges can slip through and really add up. And the FTC telling me exclusively, if this rule goes into effect, it will allow the FTC to charge companies hefty fines if they don't comply. Also, the FTC will get money back for consumers. The agency is going to take public comment on this proposed rule soon on its website. Just check, follow the social media or go to regulations.gov. You almost sometimes lose track. Like I do those free trials. I'm a sucker for that. And then I don't know how to get rid of it. So, I mean, at this point, what's another way to even track your subscription? The companies are really counting on you to forget and then they auto renew. Mm -hmm. So in addition to using those apps and also setting reminders on your calendar, try something called privacy.com. It's a website where you can assign a unique uh, debit card number for every online purchase. Mm. You control how much they take out. You can cancel those cards at any time. So then you don't fall into that trap of auto renewal. Oh, that's a great yeah, idea. Good you got to manage it, but yeah. it works. Right. That works. All right, Vicki, thank you. Uh, Nick Jr. since like 2016 <laughs> just discovered like three months ago. Exactly. I was still paying for yeah, it. And now exactly. his kids are 30. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Roker, back with another check of the weather. Yeah, but Craig still likes watching Doug. <laughs> Facts. That's the truth. Those are facts. That's right. Hey, look at these temperatures today. D.C., you're going to be up into the mid-70s. Raleigh, 80 degrees. Alexandria, uh, Louisiana, 12 degrees above average at 85. That warmth continues through the south. 78 in Norfolk. Tomorrow, Tallahassee, 84. Jackson, 85. And temperatures stay nice and mild right on into early next week. Boston, you'll be in the low 50s. Philadelphia into the upper 50s. And Cincinnati, you'll be in the low 60s. And in the words of SpongeBob, they're not laughing at us, Patrick. They're laughing next to us. <laughs> That's really good, Al. He does great impressions. That's Dell's new favorite show, by the way. Oh, yeah. I know you're a big fan. <laughs> the classics. Uh, when we come back on this Thursday morning, music icon Dolly Parton, ready to reveal a little bit more about another passion that she has. Details on that coming up in Pop Star. Check it out. Puppies on the Plaza to celebrate National Puppy Day. Aww. Look at that. Whole country will be saying, ah, in just a few moments. I've said. 